We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's do it. Are you ready for rapid fire? I am. It's about time I answer the questions. It's what the people really care about. Yes, that's right. All right, so let's go to Marty Biaggi, the new special teams coordinator. We got to talk to him after Saturday's practice. He was asked if they're experimenting with punt returners, and here's the answer Biaggi had. And as we get into towards the end of camp, we'll really uh, be putting guys in competitive situations to where they'll have to perform in a competition mindset. Um, but we want to be just as dynamic in the return game as we are, or Coach Mason the previous year was in the block game. So if you can create a two-headed monster, then you can really have a lot of success. So we are um, actively trying different guys there. My biggest thing is I want guys to learn what they have to do for to to earn the right to be the returner. So they learn the front line stuff or, or the different positions. So then they have respect for those guys. So now when they're the returner, it's not all about them. It's about the guys that are setting up to make the blocks, you know, because then I think they take a lot more pride and have a lot more respect for the whole unit as opposed to just trying to act like, oh, I'm just the returner, that's all I do. So I put everybody early on through the reps that they, that they would be on. Um, in the front line of a kickoff return or a punt return. So there you go. Marty Biaggi says they want to be just as dynamic in the punt return game as the punt block game was last year. So what do you think about that? Like, what do you think that kind of looks like? You know, to me, that looks like just um, everyone, when you think of punt return, it's like, oh, you got to return, return punts for touchdowns in order to be successful. And that's not <laughs> what it's about. It's, about maintaining field position first and foremost. It's about, you know, not letting a guy coughing you down in the five yard line and maybe, you know, taking a fair catch or catching one and, and, and just getting a yard or two. It, so to me, it's like, of course, you want some good returns, right? Everyone wants some good returns to set up some favorable field position. But to me, what looks like a, a successful punt return unit, again, is a group that doesn't allow a team to flip field position. You know, you want to be able to take away as many yards as possible, whatever that looks like, a, a punt return, or, or really what the situation calls for, because, it, you know, not every punt is returnable at the end of the day. And so you got to find yeah. ways in order to limit that 
flip of field position as much as possible. And it, another thing that really stood out to me that I really liked um, from that Biagi snippet is putting those guys on the front line because a lot of returners, I'm not going to lie, are kind of prima donnas and they're like, oh, I just want to be, <laughs> you know, the return guy that hits the home uh-huh. run, the fast guy on the field. And so make them feel I, some of that heat up front. Yeah. That's and I right. like that he's putting them up there so he they know what it takes in order to set them up. Right. Like it's got to be, you know, guys got to hit their blocks. Guys got to stay, you know, in their assignments, on their lanes, get to their landmarks. And so when these guys have a better understanding of what's going on in the front or appreciation of, you know, I'm not just the guy that's back here to look good with my, you know, armbands and fast speed and blazing the turf. They have a better appreciation of what it takes. Yeah. I mean, they averaged 10.1 on punt returns, 10.1 yards per return last year, which was up from about eight and a half the year before. They ranked 27th in the nation, actually, last year on punt returns. And what's interesting is the 8.6 was the average in 2021. Kyron Williams had a 47-yard punt return that year. The longest last year was 28. They were still a yard and a half better on (laughs) average. It's because they actually made attempts to return punts it wasn't uh where did it go it wasn't fair catch you as anthony says you know like they weren't just fair catching back there they were out there with the mentality that if the situation as you were talking about they were going to return it but they were pretty consistently in that eight and a half yards per return range during the polian era so that bumped up about a yard and a half last year which you don't think of as a lot but that's you know again it ranked 27th in the nation like 19.9 led the nation last year 15 yards per return gets you in the top 10 i think there's no reason that they can't be around 12 or 13 per return if if they're going in and their coordinator has that mentality that they want to be just as dynamic as returners as they are blocking punts and i mean like if you can do that like, what are you going to protect <laughs> if you're the punt team? You know, like, right. we're, we're, what are you doing if you're the punt team? If you know they've got someone who can take it back and they can also stuff you with a block up front. Yeah, and I've said this before. You, you, this has to be credited to someone like Marcus Freeman because he has come in here and changed the mentality and mindset about special teams mm-hmm. in general. Because it's it's one thing to have a special teams coach, but if you're off, if your head coach isn't on – the, the same page of we want to make a difference on special teams. We want special teams to be advantageous to us. Then really it doesn't matter. And so I'm not, you know, when we were talking about, you know, Biagi coming in and replacing such a successful coordinator last year, what were, were there concerns? Of course there's concerns. But when, again, when you have someone like Marcus Freeman kind of preaching or giving the mindset of and enabling his, you know, special teams coordinator to, to be impactful, I think that that is kind of the overall bigger thing. So I'm really excited to see, you know, what what they can do this year and potentially, you know, even maybe even take some sort of step forward. And maybe a step forward looks like, you know, taking a half step back and blocked punts, but a step forward and punt returns or kick mm-hmm. returns or just the overall kind of composite of special teams as a unit. I don't think we need to get caught up on punt blocks again because that's an anomaly. You're not going to get those many blocks every season. So I'm interested to see comp- like a composite of, you know, what they look like overall this right. year. 
But if you can get, you know, four, five blocks and you're out there returning, you know, punts, kicks, whatever, you bump it up and, you, you know, you were talking about like all the all that data that that Brian Mason was talking about, like average starting position and opponent average starting position, all that stuff. They were much better last year than they had been at any time since they started keeping that data something like 15 years ago or something like that. They were the best that they had been. But I agree. I absolutely agree with what you're saying. It trickles from the top down from the head coach and the importance that he places on it. So I know that like we were talking about Marty Biagi and, you know, like, oh, well, why didn't he do more here? And, you know, why does he had more block? It's, it's some of these different places since North Texas and that kind of stuff. Well, he was talking about it and we'll play some, some more of his stuff tomorrow. But, um, you know, his coach at North Texas, it sounds like, like Marcus Freeman, placed a priority on special teams. And so they had some really good special teams when he was there. And so Marcus Freeman has shown, yeah, we're going to play starters on special teams. So I, I don't think that there's any reason to believe that we're going to see a, a huge dip from what we got used to seeing last year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So we talked a few days back about the Jack Swarbrick Father Jenkins op-ed in the New York Times regarding NIL and other things. One of the things they're calling for is a national database for disclosure of NIL funds. In other words, if a school pays player X, X amount of dollars, there's a database where they keep record of all that. Who's getting paid what and what services were, <laughs> were rendered. So Jack Swarbrick, as we mentioned, was on the College Football Inquirer podcast uh, that same day that the op-ed came out. And Dan Wetzel, who's one of the hosts of the podcast, um, said last week that there's a problem with that, and that's if you have to disclose what everyone's making, it kind of shuts the system down because you have to be able to negotiate without the other side knowing what the counter offer is. So do you buy or sell that, Jesse? I completely buy that. It's like playing a game of Texas Hold'em. There's, you know, guys and ladies bluffing. And the whole point of winning big or hitting that jackpot and this in this situation, the recruit themselves that are signing the NIL is that you got to be able to, you know, see through the bluffs and see exactly, you know, who's bluffing who and, you know, who's 
who's going to counter what. So yeah, I agree that I don't think that it, it would essentially kind of almost eliminate the need for NIL. If you start keeping track of, you know, what everyone makes in, in my opinion, I, I, I think I agree with it for the most part, it, like most things, there's pros and cons of both sides, but I predominantly agree with that. If you created some sort of tracking system, I think ultimately bigger picture, it would lead to more issues down the road. I don't think it would be more helpful um, in, in the long run. Yeah, I mean, it's a big buy for me, and it's something that I hadn't even thought about when we were, you know, sitting there going through all the, the you know, that that op-ed and and listening to to Swarbrick in that interview with those guys on their podcast. I mean, it, it's kind of funny because the whole season premiere of Succession, if you watch Succession on HBO, it was basically about this, you know, like the negotiating thing. It was like two sides are trying to negotiate with a third party and you know like one side doesn't know what the other is going to pay and so of course the price keeps going up because you know the other side doesn't know what what one is bidding you know but if you had that information it changes the complexion of the bidding very quickly but you know like think about it if there's a high school defensive end out there and he knows what say Isaiah Foskey you know if he knows that I, and I'm just throwing this number out there, I'm not saying that Isaiah Foskey got this, but if he knows that Isaiah Foskey got like 250,000 bucks for whatever his top NIL deal was when he was at Notre Dame, all that kid, you know, again, a high school kid trying to decide where he's going to go and how big a factor that NIL is going to have. Well, all he has to do is go to whoever's going to give him $300,000 and up. And you know, the, the whole deal is off. So it, it was a very interesting perspective. And like, when you think about it, you know, like it's also a little bit like Jack Swarbrick is talking about the, the need for all this disclosure and stuff like that. Well, Notre Dame is a private institution. So like as a private institution, they don't have to disclose coaches salaries and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's like they want everyone else to disclose what's being paid in NIL, but they're still not even disclosing coaches salaries for that matter. So there's a little bit of irony there. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of NIL, Charles Barkley, did you uh, see or hear any of his 60 Minutes <laughs> I interview? did not. I should, though. I, well, you're I about always to hear some listening. Of it. <laughs> you're about to hear some of it. Here is Charles Barkley on 60 Minutes on the current state of college basketball. Game today. This is a travesty and a disgrace. I'm so mad now how we can mess up something that's so beautiful. How do we mess it up? We can't pay all these players. Translation, Barkley hates the new Wild West of college sports, where players go to the schools that can bid the highest. In the next three to five years, we're going to have 25 schools that's going to dominate the sports. And these schools who can't afford or won't pay players are going to be irrelevant. All right. So do you buy or sell what Charles Barkley is saying there? There's that I can't give a full buy or full sell on this one because I think there's truth, a lot of truth to both sides. If he made this statement four years ago and the NIL was around and the transfer portal wasn't where it's at, I would say that I would be more of a buy. But considering where the transfer portal is at, um, 
I, I'm going to say that I sell this, I think, majority just because of that. I think that it's one thing. Yeah, sure. I, I, you know, guys can there's only so many spots at a school. Right. And so when they fill up, they're not just going to keep filling up more spots than they need. Right. And and essentially, too, with the transfer portal is that not everyone's a fit. So even though they're getting an NIL deal, they're not going to be a fit. Maybe the coach leaves. Maybe, you know, they don't fit into whatever scheme it is, basketball, football, baseball, you know, whatever it is. Just because you're there and got the NIL doesn't mean that you're going to stay there forever. And it doesn't mean that you can just keep adding pieces and pieces. So I think there's enough pieces to go around college. And I think that if you don't fit initially, the transfer portal allows you to disperse a lot of talent over the landscape of college sports and get a better fit for, you know, where you are. So I'm actually more of a sell on this. I think, again, there's some truth to what he's saying, but Charles is just bitter that he couldn't make money back when he was in college. <laughs> I think you're right because, you know, like for starters, he's saying, well, if it's it's going to be 25 schools, they're going to have all this, this power. Well, I mean, right now it's like four or five that really have all the power. So if it goes to 25, that's actually a little bit of a win compared to where we are right now, <laughs> right? So right. You know, I do agree that the system is screwed up. But I sell what he's talking about, about a handful of schools being able to run everything because of what you were talking about. Between NIL and the portal, it's actually spreading things out more. You know, it's like when Alex Rodriguez way back when, when he signed the big fat contract when he left Seattle to go to the Texas Rangers, it's like the Rangers paid all this money. They got Alex Rodriguez, but they didn't get a bunch of other guys, you know, so like you know, like, why do you think Nick Saban's complaining about right. NIL right now? <laughs> because because other schools and their collectives are able to come up with a little bit of money. They're actually taking away from Alabama. So like Colorado or Washington or whoever, you know, might like Baylor that, you know, whoever it happens to be, they might get some of these guys, but I don't think that they're necessarily going to stockpile it. I think the, the greater chances are just what you're saying between the portal and nil you're going to see this talent actually spread out a little bit more well it's, and, it's just one know, they're thing not to, all going to run to one place right and it's one thing to just take the money and sit the bench but i would happen i would make the argument that no one wants to sit the bench in the college level so if you're right if you're making you know, say someone throws these are hypothetical a million dollars at you and you never get to see the field. But then someone throws a half a million dollars at you and you're guaranteed you're not guaranteed, but you're you know, you got a, a shot chance and, to play. Yeah, yeah. And you're you're getting rotational snaps. Less, and yeah, you, I would money. turn down the money because it's still a half a million dollars and I have a better chance of making more money by going to the NFL because I actually got tape and experience and playing time. So. I don't I don't necessarily see it as as Charles Barkley does. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Jeff wants to know, he says that you can get a little salty with me sometimes. <laughs> How many times did I have to take you to the woodshed when you were a kid? We would wrestle a lot. That was our thing. <laughs> we would right. wrestle in the living room whenever we'd get a little testy with each other. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you know, like he wasn't always as much bigger than me as he is now, you know, so, so like things were easier. <laughs> you know what I was thinking of a lot recently is I'm actually impressed with, see, when I was a kid, you'd always come home from work and you'd always work for like four to noon when you were at the radio station and it would be the summertime. 
And every yeah, 4 day, a.m. to noon. Yeah. Every day you'd come home and you'd be like, all right, let's go run. And every day I'd be like, <laughs> no, please. But it was always what was best for me in hindsight. But what I'm getting to is I, I was thinking of all the different like sprints and like poles and stuff we would do. And like you never really got like hurt and you kept up for a while. And I mean, eventually I passed you naturally. But right. like it's not like you were just like dying out there. Like there was a lot of. <laughs> A lot, a lot to show. And I, I, I was just thinking, I was like, if I ran like that now, I would probably blow out a hamstring. <laughs> and I'm like eight years that's, that's younger funny, than what that was. That's true. That's very true. So, eight, just some 10, thought. 15. Yeah, that's right. You're saying this old man hung for a while. You so. did. Those muscles <laughs> held up. That's right. <laughs> Can they keep holding? That's the question. <laughs> All right, on a scale of 1 to 10, your interest level in tonight's UConn-San Diego State National Championship game. I'll put this at an 8 out of 10 strictly because it is the National Championship. It is a Monday night. I got nothing else on TV to watch. Girlfriend's out of town in Houston for a week. You know, I just, what, I have nothing better to do than, you know, I got to fold some clothes, make a little dinner, and then I'm propped up for the rest of the night watching the National Championship. So, I mean, I'm interested, and it's, again, strictly because of it is a national championship. Do San Diego State and Connecticut scream, wow, must-see matchup? No, but again, it's for the national championship. They've made it this far, so I'm going to give them their respect and watch the game, and I'll be rooting for San Diego State because I don't think they've ever won it before, and Connecticut has. (laughs) And so I'm going to root for the underdog and – Hope that they can pull off the upset. And disclaimer, take them to cover seven and a half. I think that's too big for a national championship. Man, I liked Miami at plus five and a half the other night. How'd that work out? <laughs> well, I they just... they didn't shoot very well, but no. again, that's this is this is two good defensive teams um against each other. But I think I, I would obviously give UConn's offense an edge, but I just feel like seven and a half is just a little too much for the national championship. Yeah, the San Diego State head coach brian dutcher like he you know he was an assistant at michigan it's like he was the guy who helped recruit the fab five to get him to michigan you know but like there's no fab five there's no eric montross or christian leitner or you know any of these guys out there you know so it's just a bunch of no names and they're lacking stars and it's like eh uconn uconn should be kind of a cinderella but We've seen them win some national championships before, and I think they're probably going to win again tonight. So I'm maybe a notch above Anthony. He says a zero is his interest. Mine is not that much greater. I just really – it's it's not last year, that's for sure, when it was Kansas and North Carolina. So my interest level is very low. I had a much higher interest in yesterday's women's national championship game. So fill in the blank. It's blank that – the refs let them play and officiating were all trending on Twitter in the fourth quarter of yesterday's LSU Iowa women's championship game. It is not shocking that the refs let them play and officiating were all trending during that fourth quarter. And I mean, it's just going to echo what my biggest gripe has been this entire tournament. I, I even when we when I was saw you over the last weekend, and I think by a 
lot of kind of, you know, level. We're talking about the national championship on the women's side. And even before that, there's just too many, like, just what seems to be just like, just like judgment calls on these fouls. And they're allowing it to impact the most important game of the season. And if, if that's the way the game's going to be officiated on the college level, then expand to six fouls. I don't there's being in foul trouble. I understand they're not as skilled and they're not professionals for a reason, but that's a reason why they should get a six foul. Should acting the overall landscape of the game. Caitlin Clark should never have picked up a four, uh, you know, all those fouls and that allowed her to, you know, see her minutes restricted. She should never picked up a technical it's just it, it was too much. And it, again, I'm not saying that, you know, had these fouls not happened, LSU would have won or it, it, the game would just been a lot closer and came down to it compared to the, the opposite of just seeing too many fouls. I mean, it was a great first half. And even though even though it, it's amazing that it, that LSU ended up leading by double figures they end up going up by 21 points and then here comes Iowa makes a run at him in the third quarter it was a great game for roughly three quarters but 37 fouls people tuned in most people were tuning in to see Caitlin Clark like this player from Iowa the star of the tournament the final four the semifinals set an all-time record for viewership on ESPN they put this game on ABC which I, you know, I haven't seen the numbers yet with the what the ratings ended up being, but it had to be through the roof. And you ended up tuning in to see the officiating show. That that technical foul was garbage. You're like, especially it was like a high school technical foul, is what well, it's it got their feelings hurt. That's all it yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, when when Kim Mulkey's out there on the court running into officials. And there's no technical foul called there, but you're yeah, calling like, Caitlin Clark on. for for just tossing the ball behind her back. It was just, it was the official show. Nobody tunes in to see that, but they made it about themselves. It was horrible. It was one of the most horribly officiated games that I, that I think anyone has seen in a long time. And that's saying something because the level of officiating, you know, is is down across the nation right now. Fill in the blank. South Carolina's bid for an undefeated season and repeat national championship ending in the national semifinals to Iowa is blank. South Carolina's bid for another or not another, an undefeated season and back-to-back national championships ending in the semifinals is honestly, again, pretty shocking because it looks like no one could beat them the entire season. And the fact it's shocking on two terms, one that they, that they had an undefeated season and that it came to a close in the semifinals and they couldn't quite get it done. And then it's shocking on the same respects that they almost went back to back, you know, national champion repeats. So I just think that ultimately South Carolina got caught up in a great game plan by Iowa. Iowa dared them to do exactly what they did the entire game. They didn't want to shoot on the perimeter and they kept just force feeding the ball down low to their bigs. They thought that their bigs, were enough to overcome, you know, their deficiency shooting, and it ended up catching up to them. They, I mean, I was watching that entire game. They got out-rebounded. They out-rebounded LSU by, like, 20-some rebounds. They had more offensive rebounds than Iowa did team rebounds. They put up, like, 20 more shots than Iowa did because of all those offensive rebounds, yet they still couldn't pull it out. So, 
I was just overall shocked that they just didn't adapt to Iowa's game plan. I was shocked that it came to, you know, an end. And it would have been shocking if they won back-to-back national championships. That's hard, especially when you, if you have an undefeated season uh, as your repeat. Yeah, I was I was pretty impressed with how Iowa's bigs played, you know, just like the quickness that they had in that game. But, I mean, like bigger than that, like them losing in the semifinals, they were undefeated. It's kind of like Golden State when they set the regular season record with 73 wins, <laughs> what, and then they lose in the finals or right. you know, like the, the Patriots going 16 and 0 in the regular season and then losing in the Super Bowl. It was a great season, but it's also an incomplete sort of empty feeling at the end because you couldn't pull the whole thing off. You know, fortunately for them, they were national champs last year, just like Golden State. They won a title before they won a title after, but they set that record and they didn't win a national championship that year and it's it's kind of what it is for South Carolina it's just that empty incompleteness that they've got after as great as like they were wall-to-wall number one in the nation all season long right up until Friday night and you're right Iowa had a better game plan than them they took it to them and they executed it and came out on top but in the end Iowa also couldn't finish it off I guess (laughs) <laughs> we are not Marshall caught up. I did break FanDuel. They are not happy with me right now. <laughs> yeah. I hit a lick on them, and now they're all butthurt about it. Yeah, they might shut down the whole app because Jesse hit a $2 <laughs> bet that turned into 1000 bucks. <laughs> just playing the data. Also, shout out to my man Cody Bellinger. Saw you just hit a three-run home run. It's about time he woke up for the Cubs. Very excited about that. All right. Who are they playing today? Cincinnati. Playing the Reds. All right. In Cincinnati. Ooh, it's actually not a horrible day in Ohio. It's like 60 degrees and a little cloudy. No kidding. You guys yeah. had 60 degrees where you are? Yeah. Wow. It's going to be Good in the you. 70s on Wednesday when you get here. Nice. Looking forward to that. All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight. Appreciate you joining us here this evening. Hit that like button if you would on your way out, and we will talk to you tomorrow. We've got more Notre Dame football talk, of course, on tomorrow's show and later this week as well. We'll talk to you then on Hibernation Sports Talk.